Turn them open to Genesis chapter 3. I think that this morning's message is an important lesson for each and every one of us here, but I also believe that it has a special message for our graduates today. This is most likely one of the last sermons that you'll hear before you begin moving off into your next adventure, and I encourage you to listen and apply these truths to your heart, all of us this morning. So as we set the context, Genesis chapter 3, turning back to the first book of the Bible, back to the beginning, back to the Garden of Eden, we see that original sin taking place of the first couple. We see them placed in the garden, all of their needs met, paradise, a sinless existence, and yet they're left with one instruction, and that is to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told them that on that day that they will surely die. All right, so that sets our context. And we're going to pick it up in verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6 of Genesis. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So there's a term in theology that's quorum deo. Some of you may have heard that. Quorum deo literally means before the face of God. It's this idea that as Christians and in all of creation, we simply live out our lives in the presence of God. All our lives, all aspects are laid bare before the face of God. Now, this may be assumed, especially in a place like this, in a morning like this, it's easy to say, yes, God is in this place, and we are in the presence of God. But living quorum Deo means a recognition that we are never apart from God's presence. There's no bifurcation between religious and non-religious life, church and home, public and private. It's all before the face of God. No matter what you're, at, what you're doing, no matter where you are, no matter what you're thinking, the deep, dark recesses of our mind, no matter what you're watching or what you're clicking on, there's this recognition of God's presence. It's all presence. 
So with that in mind, have you ever thought of why God asks questions? Why, why does he ask questions? If he's all-knowing and he's everywhere, why do we find God asking questions in the Bible? He already knows the answer, correct? Well, have you ever had a parent ask you, what are you doing? Or as a parent, have you ever said something like, what are you doing, young lady? Usually it's because we already know the the answers to that question, but we're trying to get our children to acknowledge that, number one, we know what's going on. They're, They're busted. And also a recognition on their part of where they're at and what they're doing. It's more of a question of why you're doing it than what you're doing. And here in Genesis 3, the passage we just read, God asked several questions, several questions that he already knows the answer to. In verse 9, he simply says to Adam, where are you? Where are you? And again, he already knew the answer. He wanted Adam to acknowledge what was going on and to acknowledge the fact that he was trying to hide from God as if that was possible. Other questions in our text include, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Verse 13, what is this you have done? And the questions continue on. Even when you flip over to chapter 4, we see God confronting Cain with a sin. He's just killed his brother, and he says to Cain, where's your brother? Now, he already knew that. He already knew the answer, but what was Cain's response? In in today's terms, he'd say something like, how am I supposed to know? It's, It's not my day to keep track of my brother. God wants us to understand that he is all knowing and to confess. So, Coram Deo, before the face of God, why do we pretend that, that God doesn't know everything? We, we fool ourselves into thinking that God, He just doesn't know everything. Or, or, practically speaking, this is the way we live our life. Now, I think in this passage, we we see this first exposure and first experience of sin to help us understand why, why we do this. So look at the context again. Adam and Eve in the garden. Their needs are met. They have perfect fellowship with God, perfect fellowship with one another, because at this point there is no sin, which means there's no shame. The Bible says that they were naked and not ashamed. It's a wonderful state. Just a perfect, transparent relationship with God, their Father, Creator, each other before the face of God. Well, we know the story. Adam and Eve disobeyed their father, disregarded his authority over them, and what happened next? Sin entered in. Their sin resulted in shame because sin always results in shame. And what did they try to do? Yet again, they tried to cover themselves. They, they made fig leaves, loincloths of fig leaves, to cover their shame brought on by sin. Then they literally tried to hide themselves, to cover themselves with the trees from God himself. So they're covering themselves from each other, then God, and then they tried to further cover their sin by blaming Cover it with blame. Adam said, the woman. Eve said, the serpent, he made me do it. And that same lie has been repeated throughout the course of history. The devil made me do it. 
But this morning, we want to acknowledge that the devil has no power to make you sin. No power. That's simply our human depravity. Our flesh is to blame alone. We can't simply shift the blame of our sin to someone else or, or even to God. It's not his fault. You can't say, well, God made me this way and blame it on him. It's our own flesh. So the truth of this passage is that we can cover our sin, we can attempt to, but we ourselves will never be able to cover our sin and shame, no matter how hard we try. We might at best temporarily cover ourselves from one another, but not forever, and not from God, certainly. Humans have been sowing these fig leaves together ever since Genesis 3, because sin makes us want to try and fix ourselves. It may not be literal fig leaves, but we create these artificial coverings for ourselves to reduce our shame and to make us feel adequate and in control. So this morning, I just want to examine this life of Coram Deo, before the face of God. And let me just give you a quick overview of where we're going so you can uh, help to wrap your head around it. First, we simply must recognize God's presence, okay? The truth that we just must simply recognize and understand. And then once we recognize that, we have to apply it by reconciling our lives to this truth. And in that, we'll see that we live transparently, we live under authority, and we live according to his grace. So first, God's presence, his, his omnipresence. We cannot run from God, no matter how hard we try. There is no place to run. It's a futile effort. God is all-present. His omnipresence is real. He's everywhere at once. There's no place where God isn't. We see that the prophet Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Father. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, he was fleeing to Tarshish as if possible to flee from the presence of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 3, says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, verse 24, can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Psalm 139, verse 7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. The very next verse, he says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. So there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. But more importantly, there's no need to run. There's no need to hide. It shouldn't make us feel trapped. This ideas should actually be very comforting to us that there's nowhere, no place that we can be, no condition, no state of being that's apart from God. It's a very simple truth. It's not complicated. But it's much more important than what we do with this truth. Once we recognize and accept God's omnipresence, we, we must reconcile this truth with our lives. We must line it up. We apply this truth It's not enough to know or understand, but it must be applied. And as we do, first we will simply live transparently. 
transparently. It's so important to live transparent to God. When you understand that God is everywhere and he knows all, it's, it's a reminder to try to not hide anything. Our lives should be an open book to God. I mean, they already are, but it's the recognition of that and how that affects our lives that's important. There is no reason to pretend otherwise. The question becomes, what do we do with our sin? How do we handle it? Sin changes everything. You go all the way back to the beginning here in the garden, the cover-up. They covered up each other. They, they tried to hide themselves from God. It changes things. So why hide? What are some reasons why, why we would try to hide from God or, or hide from each other? It could be just simple disobedience. Uh, we don't want to admit that we, we have a problem. We've sinned and we're trying to get away with it. But Psalm 90, verse 8 says, You have placed our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our secret sins are, are never secret, and they are exposed in the light of God's presence. We often hide like Adam and Eve uh, because of our shame. Sin brings on shame. There was a difference between the time before the fall and after the fall. Before they had this perfect relationship, it's open and honest. They were naked and unashamed transparent with God and each other. And when sin came, they suddenly realized that they were naked and they felt shame and they tried to hide it and they were cast out. Can you imagine a life without shame? That, that ex- existence before the fall. A life without shame. No sin, no regret, just perfect fellowship and purpose. Well, whether it's disobedience or rebellion or simply shame, the coverings that we try to hide our sins with often result in compartmentalization of our lives. We try to uh, make compartments that I can put on a good face here, but over here I'm corrupt and there's a problem. It's easy even in a place like this to come in with a, a smile on your face and act like nothing's wrong, but not to God. It only breeds hypocrisy, which is the opposite of Quorum Deo. Quorum Deo is a life of consistency. It's integrity, not hypocrisy. Another reason we may try to hide is simply apathy. Perhaps we just don't care, or simply we just haven't stopped to consider and put much thought into it. Maybe we've never actually and actively sought to remove the coverings in our life. God wants us to acknowledge the truth. He wants us to live transparently so that it may draw us closer together and in closer fellowship that was experienced back in the garden. That's the state we're trying to get back to. Well, as you're living this open book, this open door life, it's also important that we live under authority. We live under authority. As important as transparency before God is, it's empty without being subject to an authority. And the question is whose? Whose authority are we subject to? Is it ours or is it God's? Is it something that that we go through the Bible and we pick and choose which sins that, that we want to recognize, certain truths that we want to apply to our life and disregard the others? Or is it the whole counsel of God that we are subject to? 
Do we ever say things like, well, God would never say something like that, or God wouldn't want that on me. He, he understands the place I'm at. He wants me to be happy. My God would never do what Anything that you conjure up that is apart from what the clear description of the Bible is simply idolatry. Adam and Eve were under God's authority, right? And yet they rejected his authority for what? To meet their own desire. Their own desire. Proverbs 15, 5. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. So are we so bold to reject God's authority, more specifically God's word, and his reproof? You know, God's way is the best way. Simply, he, God's way is the best way. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he loves us, which is a great combination. We should welcome his authority. His rules are not to hold us back from joy. No, it's just the opposite. We have true freedom by following God's plan for our lives. The freedom to, to glorify God and to serve him, not ourselves. When we live this life of before the face of God, we have the freedom to, exa- to do exactly what God's called us to do. Not only is God's way the best way, but it is the standard by which we are all judged according. We are all judged by God's standard. It's a high standard. And yes, we fall short. And sometimes it cuts deep. We must submit ourselves to God's authority, specifically his word. Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to, listen to this, judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. When confronted with the truth, the truth of your sin, the truth that you fall short, whether it's by studying the word of God or some loving brother or sister in Christ coming to you and confronting you, how do you react? What's your immediate reaction? Does being confronted with the truth of your sin make you run away from God and try to cover up even more? You try to pretend it didn't happen or you try to downplay it? Or does the truth result in conviction and a desire to to flee to God into the arms of our loving Father. Sin needs to be confronted. It's a cancer. God confronted Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't just let it go. He didn't ignore or try to downplay what was going on. He came to them in their sin. He confronted them. He asked. And our, our sin has consequences here in this life. But in spite of this, God's grace is sufficient. He saves us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done. We have that great verse, Romans 5 eight. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So we live according to his grace. God displays his grace towards sinners. And we just have to admit the truth. We have to admit who we are. 
it's that part of, of living this life before the face of God and being transparent. The gospel is not pretending that we're not sinners. The gospel is all about recognizing who we are before the face of God, coming, repenting to him for forgiveness. That's the gospel. We are sinners in need of a Savior. God's grace is on display in this passage today. It's there. Don't miss the fact that God came to Adam and Eve after they sinned. He could have not confronted them. He could have uh, cast them out immediately. He could have struck them down. Yet he came to them, and by his grace he cared for them, and he displayed his love in spite of their rebellion. When you skip down to verse 21, we see the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So here we see God provided animal skins for them to wear, continuing to meet their needs and care for them in the face of their disobedience. And by the way, it's a, it's a foreshadowing of the shedding of innocent blood for the remission of sins, the covering of sins. They previously tried to cover their sin and shame with the fig leaves, but, but only God can do this. Only God can do this, and that's what God is showing them here. Jesus Christ the unblemished lamb of God shed his blood as an atonement. It's just a fancy word for covering, for covering for our sin. God takes us, he takes us as broken vessels, and he makes us anew, he makes us usable for him. And when we do, when he does, we are forgiven. We're redeemed, we're restored for his purpose. But it simply starts with repentance. You must repent and confess to the Lord. 1 John 1.9 1 1 says simply, If you confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Right? It's a great promise. I love this verse. But remember that this is a conditional statement. It says, if we confess... If we confess, he is faithful. It's like a check. When, when you write out a check, without that signature on the bottom, it's useless. So we have this, this blank check from God, but without repentance and confession, it's useless. And I'm not talking about the, the repentance that, that it's just, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry I got caught, or we're sorry that we were discovered, something was uncovered, but true repentance that is broken before God and God alone. And God's grace is all sufficient. Now, some might be tempted to continue in their sin with the expectation, the, the expectation of God's forgiveness, saying that, hey, God's grace is sufficient. He's forgiving. He will forgive me. But God's abundant grace is not a license to sin. It's very dangerous. Grace is not to be taken advantage of. Paul addressed this. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And again, in verse 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but grace? May it never be. Please, don't take advantage of grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But that is not a license of sin. It does not glorify the Father. And it is very dangerous. 
So graduates, all ages, remember as you transition into adulthood, you may transition out of your parents' home, out of your parents' presence, but you are never apart from God's presence. Let me encourage you to live your life before the face of God. And if you stumble, and many of you may, may stumble immediately, if you fall, if you get caught up in sin, it seems like you're digging a hole that you can't get out of. Don't run from God. Don't try to hide from God. Turn to him. He's there. He's already there wherever you're going. And he's simply wanting you to confess your sin and repent. Don't hide. His grace is sufficient for all of us. Each of us here, don't pretend like you're something you're not. Don't try to hide what you've done. God knows. It just builds artificial barriers between us and the people we love and between us and God. God knows who you are. He knows what you've done, what I've done, the dark recesses of our thoughts. He, he knows already, and he's ready and willing to forgive you. It's not something that we say to diminish our sin. We don't try to downplay it or, or soften its edges. We don't want to ever try and downplay sin and not pretend, or just try to pretend that it's nothing but open rebellion against God. But it's just the opposite. Recognizing our sin just magnifies his grace and forgiveness. It's sinners that are sick in need of a physician. When God confronted Adam in the garden, he still cared for him. His sin did have consequences. They were kicked out of the garden. There was separation there, separation of fellowship. I brought on toil in his labor. Strife between Eve and other humans, even death. So no matter where you are or what you've done, whether it's in the past or right now, don't be blinded by your sin. Don't let it be an anger that, that sinks you deeper and deeper into an abyss of your own sin and shame. You can't remove the sacrals yourself, but God is willing and, and able to remove that sin from your life, that, that past that's burdening you, that present that you're caught up in, that heavy burden, he's willing and able to remove that and re- to redeem you and to restore you. So today is the day of repentance. Do not delay, please. Why not pray to God today, right now, and confess those things in your life that you're trying to cover up? You can't ignore them. Please. He already knows about them, but he wants you to admit them, repent of them, and fall into his loving arms. You may be a prodigal today, prodigal son or daughter, and your heavenly father is welcoming you back. Or maybe you need to to come to God for the first time and experience this, this grace and forgiveness that we're talking about this morning. Today is the day. If everybody would please bow their head Pray with me. Just let God speak to you now and examine your heart. Are there, are there certain things that you're keeping or you're trying to hide, trying to cover up? Because God already knows.
He loves you. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your abundant grace. We thank you that despite who we are and how you know every detail of our lives, in spite of that, you've given us what we don't deserve, your grace. It's through Jesus and his perfect life, his shed blood on the cross that covers our multitude of sins, his death that we deserve gives us life and life abundantly. Lord, I pray that that none of us take that for granted. None of us walk in grace and view it as some license to sin. Well, we know we're sinners. We know we're not perfect. But we want to confess those things in our lives that separate us from that perfect fellowship. We want to repent of those, turn to you, turn away from those things, flee from immorality. When we do, I know that you will take these broken vessels, restore them for your purpose. Lord, I pray that today, as as your Holy Spirit is, is working among us, that you will convict us to what you'd have us to do. Draw us close to you. And may we go out of this place sharing this bold gospel message with those and, and let people know that there is a remedy to their shame, their guilt. And that's Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.